You're tuned into that deity though Let the assembly know We worship God in the flesh His name is Jesus you know Oh we can open the word This is the truth we can show Planting a seed in your brain Trust in a prayer for the grow The son of God is the most high When that don't fly They come at my neck like a bow tie <laughs> From the throne to the manger The mystery of God sent himself as the savior Welcome to episode 13 of That Deity Though, an apologetics podcast focused on the divinity of Christ and the Trinity. I'm your host, E.C. Holmes, a.k.a. Yes, <laughs> that's my real name. Um, today what we're going to do is I'm going to interview an ex-Hebrew Israelite. Um, yep, an ex-Hebrew Israelite. You heard it. <laughs> he has an amazing testimony that I really think testifies to the love of God. Um, I think it's a testimony that's evidence that God doesn't only leave the 99 to go after the one. Um, sometimes he leaves the 100 or oftentimes he does uh, to go after those who may have traveled close to the flock of God um, at some point in their life, um, but never were believers. But before we get into that, of course, I have to give a shout out to my listeners. Um, thank you for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate every listen. I appreciate every genuine comment. And of course, I have to add genuine to that um, because not every comment is genuine. And so obviously I'm not responding to every single thing that people post, but I do interact with those who leave uh, gracious comments and even those who have um, real critiques that actually deal with content. Um, and so I think this episode might attract that type of attention. So I want to say that from the onset. Um, but thank you for sharing these episodes with your friend with your friends and family. I think many people would say that sharing is currency. And so I hope you get a return on your investment um, for taking the time out. I hope that these episodes add value to your walk um, with the Lord. Um, what I want to do today is something that I've never done before, man. I want to shout somebody out. Um, I want to shout them out by name. <laughs> this person I think he was pretty much listening from the beginning. Um, he likes and shares like everything. He's always leaving encouraging comments and stuff like that. And I just want to let him know that I really appreciate his support. And his name is Kobe Munzee. Uh, man, I really appreciate you again, bro. I, what I want to do is I want to uh, do something special for you. I want to give you a gift. And so hit me up um, on instant uh, on IG or hit me up on Twitter or something like that. Just inbox me. Um, I would like to give you like a mug or a T-shirt or something like that um, just for your support, man. I really appreciate it. So make sure you hit me up and I'll make that happen for you, bro. If you would like to know how you can get some merch for yourself um, or if you have questions or an episode request, please email us at that deity, though, at gmail.com and make sure you follow us on social media for updates and, and some dialogue um, after you finish this episode go ahead and leave a review on itunes that helps us to become more visible to those looking for a good podcast i hope you think this is a good podcast i think so um, i think it also encourages others and gives them an idea of uh, what they can expect when they tune in and so after you leave your five-star review, right, your five-star review, make sure you copy and paste it on Facebook as well because you can, relieve, you can uh, leave reviews there also. Um, if you guys tuned into the last episode, which was 12, um, that last episode was on the gospel. Um, if you missed it, go back. Please check it out when you get a chance. Um, I responded to a video by Stephen Furtick, who's the pastor of Elevation Church. And I used that video as a segue to breaking down the gospel um, 
in a, in a broad biblical sense, I think, and then tried to zoom in a little bit to just highlight some details about how the gospel should shape our understanding of who Jesus is. Um, but before we get into the main topic for today, I would like to share how the gospel also um, affects our interaction with others, right? The gospel not only causes us to become children of God, the gospel not only gives us a new heart that loves the Lord, right? We also receive a very important title that comes with receiving the gospel. Second Corinthians five seventeen through 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God an ambassador, right? An ambassador is a messenger who is sent out on behalf of an authority, right? In the Old Testament, um, an ambassador was a representative of their leader. And examples would include the ambassador of Pharaoh in Isaiah 30 verse 4, or the prince of Babylon in, in, in 2 Chronicles 32, 31. And of course, the ambassador of Nico, the king of Egypt in 2 Chronicles 35, 21. We are greater ambassadors in that we are the ambassadors of the king of kings we've been entrusted with a message right not only a message but the king's message and with this title we've been given a ministry we've been given the ministry of reconciliation right that through the proclamation of the gospel we're used to reconcile man to god we persuade others, right? We passionately encourage others to repent and to follow Jesus. Now, this can at times, in fact, in fact, most times, right, it can be discouraging, right? If we don't, if we don't focus on being faithful to what God has called us to do, we can easily lose our zeal and we can lose the passion that we have to share the gospel with others. You, you know, oftentimes, right, we have these conversations and, um, you know, we're talking to people who might be a part of a cult or some type of religion. And we have conversations with people who are who might be tethered to a false teacher or they might embrace some type of a narrative that blinds them from the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And it can feel like you're talking to a brick wall. Right. It, it can feel like nothing you say is getting through and we can feel defeated. I just want to remind you that this work isn't about you. Right. It's not about me. And of course, we're, we're emotionally tied to it because we understand the weightiness of this truth. But it's not about you. It's, a, it's about being faithful to what our king has given us, this this message that we've been entrusted with. Right. The, the message is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, not the messenger. Right. Paul seen this firsthand. Right. And he may have been the greatest evangelist the church has ever seen. He understood the teachings of Jesus better than any of us. Right. He understood the Torah. He understood the traditions of the Jews better than any of us. And even Paul was rejected by many people. Um, remember Acts 17. He says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, 
but others said, we will hear you again about this. And so don't be discouraged, right? We're called to bear witness to the Lord and his righteousness, right? To bear witness to his provision for us, who is Jesus, right? From there, the Lord opens the heart. The Lord gives the gifts of grace and faith. The Lord grants repentance, right? But no matter the response, we're called to do one thing, to love your neighbor enough by sharing the gospel, right? The gospel that reconciles man to God. And that message even reconciles the worst of sinners because it reconciled you, right? It reconciled me. This word reconciled Paul and even those who are in cults, right? And so I want to encourage you today to do what you've been called to do as an ambassador. God making his appeal through us. We are to implore, implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, right? For the sake of him who was made sin, right? who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, right? That's the message. It's the simple gospel. Today, we're going to hear a testimony, and it's from an individual who's a living example of the saving power of God. And I pray that this will encourage you to never give up, never, never pass on the opportunity to share the gospel again, right? Never stop praying for the salvation of others. You are God's ambassador, and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to these powerful words from Charles Spurgeon. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. He is Lord, so we reign. Open up the word, get with it. The eternal God, he is infinite. He put on some flesh and then lived in it. The hypostatic union, we get it. Christology, my apology, but no apology. Let's get with it. Well, then the prodigy, buddy, calm the seas. He quiet storms, yes, he did it. Uh, he's preeminent, taught fishermen to fish from men. Turn grimy dudes to different men. It's by his life we live for him. And through his life we get to him. Validated by lifting him. And he would do the same for everyone to whom he was sent. Blazing it, fanning the flame. It's no taming it, grabbing his word and aiming it I don't care if you bang with it Repping the blood, no gang with it Add to it and you're changing it Paul said it's anathema Even if an angel came with it So let's jump into the main topic for today um, You guys know on this podcast We've uncovered a variety of perspectives And different belief systems Simply for the point of uh, pointing out the differences And to kind of show how we can respond To these different issues in a loving way and most importantly, in a way that's faithful and uh, faithful and uh, honest to scripture. But today we won't be on the outside looking in. I have on with me a former a former uh, Hebrew Israelite. And so uh, this right here, what I want to do is I want to kind of not get an inside scoop of the camps or anything like that. But we really want to take some time and rejoice and be encouraged by what God is doing um, in the hearts of of people all over, um, people that you may never, never take notice of. Um, but today I'm joined by Andrew Garcia. He is an ex-deacon of a, a prominent black Hebrew Israelite camp. Um, he not only left the church, but he also left the country <laughs> for a period of time because of his theological convictions. So we're not talking about someone who just dabbled in this a little bit, but we're actually talking about someone who was probably not even knee deep, right? Probably neck deep. 
uh, in this, right? right? (laughs) But by God's grace, man, uh, I can now call him a brother. um, And he has a desire to be used by God to reach back and to pull others out as well. And so, Andrew, man, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me on this episode of That Deity, though. Hey, I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, man. All glory to God for the opportunity to, you know, like you said, shed some light on the light that's been shed on me. Where? And however that manifests, I I pray that the Holy Spirit guides our mouths and tongues and and that we're able to to, uh, disseminate information that may be helpful to somebody. Where? I appreciate that, man. Yeah, man, I uh, I first saw you on Vocab's uh, podcast, right? And uh, you were kind of sharing your interview or your uh, your testimony in an interview. And um, I hit you up because I wanted to let you know how much I appreciated hearing that interview. And I kind of shared some experiences I've had um, to kind of give you an idea of why I think it's so important that people do hear your your uh, testimony. You know what I mean? So I wanted to kind of bring you on uh, my platform. Um, It's not large. It's not gigantic. But there's people who need to hear um, what you have to say. There's people who need to hear what God is doing in your life. And so. um, So, yeah, man, I kind of reached out and uh, we chopped it up a little bit on IG. We got on the phone uh, once or twice. Right. Um, And to kind of to kind of share these different things. And so um, we're kind of still getting to know each other, man. And so um, why don't you just take a little bit of time and let us know, man, who is Andrew Garcia? So like you mentioned, my name's Andrew Garcia, um, born and raised in, in a uh, city called Perth Amboy, 30 years old, just, just had my 30th birthday and I'm a father. I work in the construction field. So, you know, I'm just, just a regular guy. Uh, I come from a pretty big family um, and uh, was fortunate enough to um, be raised from a Christian perspective um, due to my, you know, upbringing. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was able to have a uh, distinction from right to wrong. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's uh, played a huge part in who I am now. Um, obviously, we're going to get into my history from a Hebrew Israelite perspective, but uh, as far as, you know, who I am and where I'm at now, I, I think that's a pretty quick and, and concise description. So. And so you you grew up in the church, right? In the Pentecostal church? Yes, that's correct. So, uh, I mean, my earliest memories of, of church were uh, were in the, in, the Pen- in the Pentecostal denomination. My grandmother, uh, probably by the time I was born, might have been about 15 to, uh, yeah, about 15 years into the Pentecostal uh, or into church rather. Um, so my mother had three children and we, each one of us were, you know, dragged into church, you know, kicking and screaming, you know, and we were raised up in um, in a uh, in a household that that was uh, immersed in Christian principles due to my grandmother's fervent belief. And, and her obedience to God. My mother uh, was not necessarily a practicing Christian, but you know she she has her faith, and still to this day, that's where she's at with it. Uh, but she still had principles, and um, so we were always raised up in that type of um, environment. But yeah, my earliest recollection of church was always uh, sitting in, in, on the pew with my grandmother, and uh, those were Wednesday night Bible studies, and then. Mm. 
we would do the Fridays and it'd be the same thing, but it would just be more prayer. And then Sunday was probably the, the most exciting for, for me and my siblings because it, it, we would get to interact with other children and, 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 and learn God's word in that way. So I did, I was uh, probably an uh, active member of that particular church for about maybe about 11, 12 years. Okay. I would say before I, I began to drift off and, and, and kind of up until what age? That, about 12, I about would say. 12. Do you yeah. remember if it was very like apologetics based or like if there was a heavy emphasis on on like uh, the scripture or discipleship or anything like that? No, you know, I I know that they had like their men's meetings um, for the men's and, and the women's meetings for the women's. Uh, they would call them uh, La Noche La Noche de Damas, which is like the, the ladies' nights, and, and 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 La Noche de Caballeros, which was like the the you know the men's nights. Um, Caballeros more of like a like a, more of like a I guess you could kind of call that like a warrior term. Like you would you would term like the, he pretty much what they're saying. These are this is a night for the warriors of like, God, like and, prayer and, warriors. So to speak, yeah, but just warriors in the spirit. I, I, however, they they decided to define that. That was them. But that word in particular meant like warriors of God. And, and then for the for the for the women, it was like the women of God, you know. Um, but it translates different in Spanish. So I was trying to do it in English, <laughs> but it didn't really come out the way. So I don't know what they would would get involved with, you know. But if I were to tell you what I know now about the church, uh, and just some people that I know that are uh, like products of it i would say that they do not have a strong apologetics uh you know base whatsoever okay. um it's very charismatic super charismatic and and I, I think that's where the church has been for the better part of 30 years you know um so yeah that that's probably the the, um, the most uh clear answer i could give to that got you so you were there till you were about 12 and uh, just about about 12 and then so you kind of get hip to the Hebrew Israelites through through like YouTube or something, right? Kind of yeah. catch, catching yeah. up. So, videos got your attention. Right. So from like 12 to about, you know, 15, I would say I just, you know, living like a regular kid. Didn't really get into much, um, you know, your average, uh, average kid wouldn't get into. Uh, but about 15, I started to get into like the conspiratorial side of uh research and, and reading and consuming information um so a lot of the books that i would read were conspiratorial mm -hmm. and then around that time you said you figured like 2006 uh i'm about 16 and uh i find youtube right the advent of youtube happened and i just start doing research on the stuff that i was into you know you you name the conspiracy you know theory i was into it it just mm -hmm. didn't matter i just i was so intrigued by it it was different and I found it, um, you know, interesting. So, yeah, so I, I came across the Hebrew Israelite videos maybe about two years into that. So I'm probably about 17 by this time. And I couldn't tell you how it was that I found the video, but I found the video. And even when I found the video, it wasn't like I found it. Because, you, you know, I, I preface what I'm about to say by saying I'm already removed from the church. Mm -hmm. By this time, I'm agnostic slash like delving into atheists, mm. you know, uh, you know, being being a self-proclaimed atheist, like, mm -hmm. you know, so 
Um, so I'm being led in that way. And one of the videos that kind of helped me get to that point was Zeitgeist. I, I don't know how, uh, if you're familiar with that mm -hmm. video, but that was one of those videos that caught on like wildfire and, and, and really uh, deceived a lot of people into um, into believing that that uh, Christianity was was just myth, was just a bunch of um, a, a compilation of, of different ancient myths, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so by that time, of me coming across a Hebrew Israelite video, I was already kind of like agnostic, but I was having certain things happening in my life that I was like, well, this kind of seems spiritual. You know, mm -hmm. my grandmother, mind you, this whole time from 12 to 17, my grandmother's on me heavy because now she sees that I'm outside the church and, right. and, getting, into, and getting into a bunch of mess. And every year it seemed like it was getting worse. Um, she was heavy into telling me that I needed to repent mm -hmm. and that I needed to seek Jesus and that I needed to... Um, to be uh, transparent with God in prayer and let him know that I'm messing up and I need help. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I, you know, I, it was one year out the other. I, I had uh, no intention of truly heeding those words that God was, you know, speaking through her, through the spirit. So to get back to the point I was making, by the time I found those videos, I was just kind of like in, in a fog. And I didn't even see the Israelite message in it, so to speak, right away. I just saw like the particular videos that I remember cataloging or saving were videos of interact, like street interactions. Mm. Like these Hebrew Israelites had the Bible open. This, this is my mindset. This is how I'm interpreting. These guys that seem confident and sure about their understanding of the Bible are brave enough to be on the street corner right. debating Muslims, atheists, uh, LBGT reps, um, so you you know, whatever video that I saw. Um, anybody can get it type. Anybody can get it type mm -hmm. attitude. Any video that I came across, these guys had those characteristics. And, and so that was something that attracted me right. to, to that to that type of content and in the message. But what also attracted me was the, because I had a, a, a Christian base, I associated Christianity with the Bible mm -hmm. and I saw that, man, these guys, they seemingly they're like, like super sharp with the word. Like, you know, I, I was impressed by that. Right. So yeah. To answer your question, you know, that that's, that's kind of how I came across those videos and, and uh, wasn't like, you know, kind of like intrigued by, by them. Yeah. I can see how it can be appealing. And, and that's kind of why I asked a little bit earlier, as far as was there like any focus on apologetics um, in the word? Because, I think what happened was you come across these different videos, whether it was the Hebrew Israelite stuff or the zeitgeist or um, the conspiracy type stuff. It causes you to actually use your mind for the first time in your life, probably where you have to wrestle with different things and you have to dig deeper and you're trying to find truth. And so you're thinking critically, you know what I mean? And so you come across videos that are raising questions, um, kind of exposing maybe um, the fact that you didn't go deep enough right into what you once believed you know what i mean and so it's very appealing um i got called into this some of the same stuff as far as like the conspiracy stuff um i used to right. love watching those videos and kind of digging in and trying to see what's really happening behind the veil right. yeah <laughs> um, alex jones and all that alex yeah, jones man. i still like alex jones man i, I listen yeah to yeah yeah I, <laughs> I don't listen to him like i used to um i, I can't listen to him like i used to but um you kind of get lost in that stuff. You know what I mean? You kind of right. forget about who's really in control, regardless of what's real, what's fake. 
um, God is in control of, of, of what is actually going down and where things are going. Nothing's out of and, his hands. And, and uh, if I could add something before, um, mm -hmm. before you go on, paranoia was something that is at the root of, I think, people that go so far to the left with conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. right? This paranoia is not a healthy mindset to be in. Mm -hmm. You operate in that, I think that you, you, more harm will come to your psyche than good right and spirit anxiety so, and all that anxiety um you know you just don't trust anybody for no good reason and just you know it, it just you super skeptical of things that you shouldn't be skeptical about <laughs> right, um, right. When, when you take it to this logical conclusion it really doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and, you know um but so one of the things um one of the one of the easy transitions into or that i found going from like conspiratorial type videos to like this particular organization's methodology and, 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 and like tying in, you know, uh, their hermeneutics with, with current events, right? Uh, their, st their study of eschatology, you know, they, it, it would always, they would always be able to, to, to bring in the conspiratorial side of things. So um, people that, you know, got entangled with this organization, many other organizations, not just them, they were able to, um, they, they, when they come out and, and they might, if they're honest, they'll probably admit it while they're uh, members of, of the organization or, or under the influence of the organizations, that conspiracy theory is something that is like at the crux of their foundation, hmm. you know, in, in, in um, like affirming the statements of faith that these, uh, these, uh, these organizations have. So it's like, what I'm trying to say is, like conspiracy theories come part and parcel with, with a lot of these guys' teachings and doctrines, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I just wanted to mention that because, you know, that's something that I've heard many, many, many testimonies of, of individuals that are like, yeah, I was watching this video and this, not this conspiracy and that conspiracy and that and this, and then I just found a video. Well, the reason it was related in to, you know, to that video with the YouTube algorithm is mm -hmm. because it's really closely related. Right. You know, and, and, and not to say that, like I said, not to say that there aren't any, conspiracy theories right but i'm talking about the far less stuff the stuff that's kind of like you know well a lot of stuff is conspiracy it's just whether or not it's true right you can conspire it's, to do a crime right it's a, it was a conspiracy <laughs> um right and so yeah i think the foundation of hebrew israelism um is a conspiracy theory right as far as the connection of deuteronomy 28 and the transatlantic slave trade um or king james being black um, and of course, there's a variety of beliefs because there's a variety of camps and, and they don't all believe the same way. Um, but much of the argumentation is conspiracy based. And so it makes sense how that would have been something that is just a direct connection. Um, it's kind of like a gateway, um, a right. gateway drug. Right. <laughs> and exactly. so was there anything particular that you can remember um, like in in one of the videos that you saw as far as like the Hebrew Israelite videos that kind of like grabbed you and caused you to want to go deeper or was it just a progression that you kind of don't even know how you got there you were just caught up in it the way i got to the point where i was actually seeking to be a part of an organization it was more of a progressive trans you know kind of like a path if you will from just being a casual viewer slash like comp you know just uh, like i said cataloging the videos and studying studying them sporadically um i would say within a year to a year and a half i became 
um, convicted in that I wanted to be an active member of this particular organization to spread this, you know, hidden truth that was uh, being manifested in my life through uh, the uh, the scriptural breakdowns, if you will, the doctrinal breakdowns that I was receiving. So I wanted to get more of that so I would be able to teach it. So that was really my, uh, my what I felt like my calling was in that organization. It's like, I just wanted to help uh, uh, spread that, you know, esoteric truth, if you will, that was just seemingly uh, ignorant to Christian, Christendom, um, the world at large. And it was, um, it was something that I felt God was calling me to do, so to speak. So that took about a year and a half and it was progressive. It wasn't just, you know, I watched a video and then a week later I'm in it. It took a while, uh, but, but I would say um, by the time I was, um, right before my 19th birthday, I was baptized in, into that organization. Mm. So that's how it happened for me. So they do baptisms and everything just like in the church? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th this particular, uh, now, I, as you mentioned earlier, there's, this, there's like a spectrum with Hebrew Israelites, right? There's right. a broad spectrum. So my spectrum uh, that I'm most familiar with and, and that I derive or the, that my organization derives from is the one West spectrum, right? And, and that predominantly um, makes up of the uh, most, I guess, I don't know, flamboyant is the right way to use, but the, 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 the most uh, out there brothers that you see on the street corners. The most popular it, camps that, yeah, yeah. But IUIC, you know, AOC, GOCC, whatever organizations that um, derive from that ISUPK uh, tree, if you will, that, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum. The doctors are different. Um, uh, you know, they, they don't all agree on everything, right. particularly baptism, as we were speaking. My organ, the organization I came from was uh, like a, stuck, uh, stuck out like a sore thumb in many ways. And, and one of the ways was they practiced water baptism. So that was something that just wasn't, wasn't like uh, accepted within that one West spectrum. So what's the significance, I guess, from the Hebrew Israelites perspective of water baptism? Is it similar to the church's view or is it like, is there something that's different that you would say is essentially different? Yeah. So, you know, that's a good question. I would say that there's probably two things that come to mind right away would be one. And I don't know how, how true this still is today with this particular organization. I can't speak for other Hebrew Israelites that also do practice that maybe of the one West variety that do practice baptism. I'm only going to speak on this particular organization. They were very adamant about uh, having it done in like what, the, what they would claim living water, right? So it, you wouldn't be able, you would be advised to not do baptism or perform baptism or immersion in a pool. Okay. So that was something that was just like, you know, one of those things. What, it would probably you go to wasn't, like a river or something like that? Yeah, like a river, or some type of body of water that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they claim was living. You know, so that that um, that was one of the things, and, and 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 that's not to say that they haven't changed that. They might be doing pool, ba you know, baptisms in pool mm -hmm. pools or, or what have you. Um, uh, and another thing was uh, they were very strict on how soon you can get baptized. So there was a like a 
a vetting period of like, I think three months. Okay. That, that increased to like six months. And then it, it might, e I think it might even uh, be longer now. I'm not too sure. I can't speak to that, but there was a vetting process. So those were the only two things that I could think of off the top of my head when it comes to baptism. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so you go through this, right? You get hip to the org these organizations through these videos. Um, you know, you kind of get pulled in progressively to the point where you want to be a part of it. And, and then you feel this call to spread this message externally. Um, but not only externally, because uh, you were a deacon, right? Within the, the organization you were in. Yes. So how, yes. How, I, I, how did that look? So and, and, and I guess, how did that look? And how do you become a deacon like in, in that kind of an organization? Yeah, so that happened uh, probably two years after me joining this particular organization. And this is um, this is probably in the infancy of the uh, this branch of, of the of, of, New, of the New York branch, if you will, of, of this particular organization. So it was, you know, it's it's not anything that anybody in an organized Christian structure will probably be probably be able to relate to. Like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, ecclesiology, right? Is that is that the right word? Mm -hmm. um, like the the structures the structure of, of the church, church. Mm -hmm. right? So the ecclesiology that uh, this particular organization had is it would be so foreign to people. It was you were you became a deacon at a like um, you were qualified based off of your tenure within like the 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 doctrine, if you will. And and how much I guess you were just uh, known at that time, you know, or or how knowledgeable you were about uh, the doctrine, like I mentioned. Um, so there really was the vetting process was a it's different now. They, they take people through more of like a, I wouldn't say a formal vetting process, but it's not how it was before, where it just it was more out of necessity. Like, it, okay, you can break down the Deuteronomy twenty eight breakdown. You you read the Apocrypha and you can understand it. You can teach the organization uh doctrines and, and and recite the statements of faith um and pretty much if you knew an elder you would be able to you know if he could they could vouch for you you'd be you'd be all right um but like i said this was in its infancy so there wasn't even uh too many elders at that point it was a, it's a very very new one west splinter okay um in that way so but at that time it was it was probably a little bit more of who had knowledge and and who knew uh, who was known of the elders you know? got you and so so you're pulled into this and you have a praying grandmother right and other people you know at this pentecostal church how, how did your family respond um to you kind of leaving the church and joining something that's so far removed from what the church is about right so i was very i guess because i understood how like far out some of the ideas were and some of the principle like the ideology and the worldview i i because i felt like it was the truth i was like well i gotta be caught you know like paul i gotta be all things to all men you know i i got i might have to like kind of like be a little uh hidden with certain things and uh maybe try to uh get somebody to understand a little bit at first and then reel them in to like the, the, the what I thought were the deeper things, 
a deeper understandings and and the revelations and what. So so you hit them. You hit a like like the multi level marketing schemes. Yeah. Yo, brother, man. You know you're a real good dude. You know hitting you on your inbox. You know I know we ain't talking a while, man. But you always been a good brother. I love to have you on my team. You've been keeping your incomes options open. You know what I mean they hit you with like <laughs> the little bit, and you be like. Of course, I've been keeping my income options open. What's this about? Well, you know, it'd be easier if I showed you. So, you know, let's just set up this meeting. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of sneak in in a way where you can grab them a little bit, right? And and then right. and then feed it and to no them offense to, Right, no offense <laughs> to any MLM guys, but that man, let me tell you something. I can't stand. I can't stand those pictures, man. That's I don't how get them you. anymore. I used to back in the day. I used to get a lot, but right. um, I guess they're dying down. But anyway, so yeah, so I would be very kind of like you know uh so i don't want to say sub yeah subversive i would be very like tact tactful in how i approach family members and people that were curious about why did you leave egypt like what is it that you're dealing with what is this on facebook at the yeah, time why, i had a facebook why did you leave the egypt oh yeah so <laughs> that's a whole nother question <laughs> right <laughs> let's get into it and, so and and how did they respond to that um yeah, you, you so, kind of can't be too hidden about that that's a drastic life change right there Right. So leading up to that, I, I was more like I, I had uh, I have a big family of, uh, you know, like four aunts and they all have children and, and I'm I'm the eldest at all the children. And, and you know, we, we grew up together. Um, then I have my immediate family, you know, with my, my siblings. And then um, then I have uh, through my father. I have uh, he has uh, children. So I, I tried to speak to everybody, you know, aunts, cousins close friends. I tried to speak to everybody before I left. So I did that. Um, and I, that was probably as out in the open as I was with a lot of my beliefs. But uh, to, to go back to your question, by that time, um, so I, I, I had, I remember I had one big family dinner. I think it was um, during Thanksgiving, as a matter of fact, and I let them know, you know, and this is going to answer your question as to why I left. I let them know what it was that I planned on doing. And here's why. Then I started going into America and its uh, impending destruction, right? And and that's the premise of the doctrine that was taught by the organization. Like the premise of it was, hey, look, America is going to be destroyed. You got to read, you know, read Revelations 18, one, one, verse 1 through 8, and you'll have the understanding. Uh, and they would use a couple of other scriptures to... Um, to prove the to point to tie it in and this is this is uh this is going to happen we can see you know at that time swine flu was uh, you know was outbreak of uh, influenza outbreak that had just transpired there was uh, you know threats of war with iran so all of these things that we, we would point to as prophecy being fulfilled in matthews 20, 24 and we tied in with uh revelations 18 and said, look, God says, you know, come out of her, my people. So you be not partakers of her plagues. Look at the destruction that's happening in America, you know? And so, you know, that was what I, that was a foundation that I left them with. Like, look, I'm leaving America because it's about to be destroyed and God is commanding us to leave. So I'm out. And what, put it and what year was this you said during swine flu? That's not too long ago. 2009. 2009. Yeah, this was 2009. Now swine flu had probably... Um, I want to say it was probably, oh man, summer of 2000. It was around that time. Yeah, that's so I, back what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it was around that time. So I, it was just one of the uh, signs that I would point to as like, hey, look, this is 
this is destruction that this is a, a plague that's happening um and and this is you can clearly point to scriptures that would prove that um these are the times we're in you know um or these are events i'm sorry that you would would be able to correlate to scripture and say hey look look what the scriptures are on point about this you know and this is all going to keep getting worse and worse so so that was my rhetoric at the time and then i left i left to egypt and at and, that point um, when you left did you have kids already um no i did point, not have not yet okay no i'm 19 years old wow and yeah i'm 19 at the time and uh th this was uh for for people that that may be hearing this and may not um understand like okay well he, he left like why did he leave um you know was the church backing this the church was you know was a proponent of this doctrine so it was uh something that was taught and disseminated um through you know uh, probably a couple of teachings a week at one point when it started to get to the point that the, the elders themselves were leaving they were they were like all the time this was like you know a couple of times a week blog talk radio uh you know however they could get the information out they were touching on it um um, and that was uh, obviously there was amongst the other teachings of, you know, we're Israel and this is this is a part of Jake's, Jacob's trouble. And this is uh, just God judging America for its wickedness, namely the uh, the wickedness that it's uh, perpetrated throughout the years against the children of Israel, the black, Hispanics and Native Americans. Right. So but anyways, to, to get back to the point, uh, I left, spent about five months out there. And I had a strong desire to come back. You know, um, I didn't understand it then, but I was, um, I had some things that were happening, like uh, personally, that was kind of like shaping the way for me to come back. But uh, I enjoyed my time out there because I felt like it was uh, a unique experience. You know, at the time, I felt like, you know, I wanted to do more like like I mentioned earlier I came into the uh, I became part of the organization to spread the teachings and the understanding now you couldn't really do that in Egypt hmm. you know you, you you can't really in that area that I was in in Cairo Egypt you couldn't openly profess uh, to be a Christian let alone you know a Hebrew Israelite right freedom that, of speech hit different outside of yeah. outside of the states right <laughs> exactly yeah. so you know, it was just a whole different lifestyle that, that I appreciated. But, you know, like, like I said, there was a, a bunch of reasons why I had to come back. And I eventually did. It, it was probably about four and a half months that I spent out there. Close and, to five. And so when you come back, what was that experience like as far as like you're bringing that experience from being there um, back into the States? Um, did that kind of like fuel something in you to kind of go harder when you came back or, you know, what transpired after you came back? Yeah, initially it, it was um, that wasn't um, that wasn't the case initially. Like I came back and was like a little sad at like you know I didn't really understand why it was that I had to come back. Clearly, it was much later that I understood. Um, but initially, I was like, okay, I got to take care of these personal issues, and I do. I felt like I had the desire to come back, but it didn't really. It wasn't clear to me. Because I thought that I was completing a command of God. Like, I thought I was just listening to the voice of God. Right. So when I came back, I, I went through a little, you know, bout of, I guess, depression, if you will, for about a month, month and a half. And then I had linked up with some brothers that didn't leave Egypt, didn't leave to Egypt. 
and were uh, still around and, and we would uh, we would go out and street evangelize and different things like that. And that that continued until um, September or October of 2010, where the the United States the, or the Northeast chapter of this particular organization started to flourish. And I, uh, along with um, another uh, individual who is now an elder, formed the uh, the church, the, the New York City chapter of this church. And so that began to grow. And then, you know, it's kind of like the next chapter, you know, of, of being a deacon, like I said, uh, of that particular organization. Um, so that, that consisted of just, you know, conducting teachings and, and, and hosting uh, events at, at certain times, like uh, feast days. I did that a couple of times, not, not too often, like maybe once or twice. And then, but I participated in every one uh, up until, you know, um, or most of them until I left. Um, but I did personally host uh, two of them um, where I was the, like the, the lead host. There was nobody else there to host it. Um, so it consisted of feast days, teachings, um, street evangelism. Uh, uh, we would call it street preaching at the time, uh, organizing uh, brothers and, and sometimes sisters would go out and, and just hit the corners all throughout New York City, the Bronx, Harlem, uh, Washington Heights, Queens, you know, would be all Staten Island. Um, then we started to grow into New Jersey. Um, and uh, man, not even uh, Connecticut, it's, it just started to blossom, like mm -hmm. like I said, and and um, so yeah, so that my like I guess what what it was that I was doing as a deacon was pretty similar to your average Christian deacon as far as like roles, right? Like you just have to just be be there and be a servant and, uh, leader. Be a yeah, exactly, and and that's what I did to to the to the elder that was. Um, the head of the church so whatever it was that was needed whether it was house calls or, um uh you know doing uh what would you call um like we would uh do a lot of uh sometimes we do interventions sometimes we would just be uh you know doing um uh being like playing you know therapists you know we would whatever was needed for the individuals that were part of the church you know i, I was just there in that facet so gotcha. that was that's what I did. And so as far as your whole time in this organization um, or considering yourself a Hebrew Israelite, I'm not sure if you would put black in front of that uh, since you're a Dominican. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a little hard <laughs> to get away with that. <laughs> I mean, but hey, we're all from the same place, really. So yeah. Um, so, so how long was your time uh, within that organization or religious pers perspective, let's call it? Okay. I would say you could, it's from 2000 and like my worldview became Christian. I mean, became a Hebrew Israelite before I became a part of the organization. So I'll just answer within like the, the, uh, the time frame of the organization itself. And, and I had the worldview even after I left the organization for a little bit. So I, like I said, I'll just answer within the, the uh, time frame of the organization, uh, about eight years about eight years about eight years okay and, about eight years and so what's your testimony then so obviously you've come out of it um and so what caused that um what what did that look like right so 
it was a multiplicity of scenarios and, and, and circumstances that God permitted me to go through. I was blessed enough to go through. Um, at the time, I, I'd have called them curses because mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense. You know, I was essentially being uh, challenged spiritually and mentally in ways that I didn't really want to be challenged because it, it was causing me to question things that I had been affirming for years and had been teaching. And, and, and really it started with, so I was never overly dogmatic about some of the tenets that my particular organization or Hebrew Israelism at large held, right? So there were certain things that, you know, I was like, so I'll give you an example. Like my, my particular church uh, organization, however you want to call it, was um, a proponent of like a certain way of pronouncing what they believe God's name was, right? I viewed that as like a handicap for us because we were really the only organization that was calling it, calling God's name or pronouncing God's name in that way. So I was open-minded and, and very, uh, I just saw like, I guess I didn't have blinders in that way where I'm like, well, that really can't be true in that way. Like, I agree that you can, I, I, at that time I was like, well, I can call God's name that, but this also is God's name as well. You know what I mean? And so it was a, a sacred name type of doctrine. So I, I'm, I'm saying all that to say that I was never, uh, I was about what I believed. Don't get me wrong. I, I was out there, you know, defending it on the street corners. I was there on 14th Street. You know, you could, you could find videos of, of me in front of like 60, 70, 80 people, and that I believed what I was saying, but I, I knew that uh, all the truth wasn't contained within my particular church. So slowly but surely, I started to come across certain information that would uh, start to like test my uh, knowledge base. So f- for instance, I started to, uh, to see like the, I, was, I was researching the virgin birth because my church was not, did not affirm the virgin birth. Um, they believe that Christ was conceived through natural means, you know, Mary and Joseph got together in the way that, you know, men and women get together to to have children. Mm -hmm. So I started to, to see information slowly, but surely that was testing, you know, how, how good I can defend the, the uh, non-virgin birth stance, right. Of the conception. So that was one of the things that happened around like 2016. And then I just so happened to be uh, hanging around some uh, another brother who, who uh, was a leader in the organization that was starting to see the same thing around the same time. And, you know, we, 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 we didn't really share the information to each other because we didn't want to be a stumbling block one to another, but it ended up just coming out. And then it was like, whoa, you know, man, you see that too? So it was one of those things that, that and... So that was something that I saw and then a few other things and then just things that I would see within like the structure of the, the organization itself that was like very concerning to me um, as far as like just how it was being, you know, run and, and um, you know, but that wasn't that wasn't going to cause me to leave. You know, when I started to see that the things that I had wrong when it comes to like soteriology, uh, Christology. These things, 
these things that are salvific, like, like if I get wrong, like I, I, I'm a heretic. Once I started to like wrestle with that, I was like, oh snap, you know, this is deep. This is really deep. So I started to have like, like, um, I was confronting a huge like roadblock because I couldn't really perform the duties of a deacon with these critical questions that I had in my head about these doctrines that you at that time, new members that were being baptized into the organization and being, uh, being, uh, being brought into the fold would have to sign paperwork saying that, Hey, look, you affirm these things. You stand on it. Hmm. This is what you, this is what you believe. And there's, there's certain things that were going to be non-negotiable. So once I started to uh, really wrestle with that, um, it was just, you know, a, a slippery slope for me. And one, one thing, one uh, doctrine led to another, led to another, mm-hmm. as far as uncovering the, the, um, the errors in them. And then I just got to the point where I could no longer be affiliated with the organization. So, you know, in essence, I resigned. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but mm-hmm. I did resign. And, um, you know, so that's how it happened. Right. And then, so what what happened on the side of, um, so you're, you're being exposed to doctrinal errors, right? And so obviously the Christian faith isn't, so much a recognition of the truth but it's a response to the truth and so so you recognize these things and so what was that like as far as like now you have to pull your heart into this <laughs> and, right and, and so yeah so so what was that like so that was a that's a whole other journey because mm-hmm. that wasn't an easy transition either mm-hmm. because you know i'm in a hebrew israelite worldview you know how i view you know race relations or uh, how I view things from a political point of view, um, how I view, how I educate myself. You know, it it all, com- it all is, uh, there's a Hebrew Israelite crux. And, and this one was specific in, to my organization to where, you know, it might be different to somebody else that is a part of another organization um, that, that claims to be a Hebrew Israelite. So I was like very, and what I mean by that, I'll be a little bit more um, clear like when I came, when it came to like me doing research and like just even something as simple as like, uh, you know, like a commentary, I was like, man, I, I could never envision myself purchasing a, a commentary, a Christian commentary, you know, on the book of, uh, you know, Hebrews or, or what, what, whatever. So um, to get to that point took, you know, probably about a year and a half, you know, from that point of me resigning, you know, and being be comfortable enough to like, trust sources that are like uh are are deemed like uh uh respected within christendom you know so uh but yeah so to to talk a little bit about the transition i left the organization and went through my own personal like detox if you will like you know i'm i'm mind you i'm I'm being removed from like people that are considered family and still i love i love these people dearly Mm -hmm. um you know uh, they they might see it otherwise, you know, because I'm speaking against the uh, their worldview and, and their beliefs. But right. you know, I was removed from that, so I didn't I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have a place where I can go and, and and fellowship in the way that I understood 
fellowshipping to be or worshiping to be. You know, I didn't have any, I didn't have access to that. All of the friends that I built up and people that I considered family for X amount of years was like gone. So I, I went through a phase for a, a while where I would say a better part of a year, even more, where I just, I didn't even really, I couldn't even pick up the word like that. I didn't really want to communicate about the Bible because I was still, even though I was convinced that the teaching that was, uh, the teachings that I was uh, prom uh, promoting were false, I I couldn't pick up the word in a, in a sense where I would still read and pray, but I, I was like, you know, I was scared to like continue reading and figure things out that were like, yeah. antithetical to what i had already believed yeah, i'm like the virgin birth was more stuff yeah yeah like the deity of christ i was listen that was something that you couldn't talk to me about that about at that particular time mm -hmm. it was something i would have outright denied right so it, it it was like a mind boggle to to get to where i was at that point so i'm i'm like really far from um in my eyes from you know the understanding that god has brought me to now which you know i'm still learning and growing but mm -hmm. um I, I took some time where I was really struggling with, you know, I guess, uh, trusting my own understanding and, you know, something where, you know, Proverbs 3, you know, tell, speaks vehemently against. But mm -hmm. I was like, man, how, where do I start? So I went through that phase for a little bit. Um, and then slowly but surely through God's, you know, grace, I, I got to the point where I was able to uh, be led by the spirit and brought to certain uh, books and, 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 um, uh, videos of, of teachers and uh, but more importantly I was able to start to read the word and and just have have a uh, have God through the Holy Spirit just minister to me you know through prayer about things that I was confused about so I would read something uh, maybe I'll do a research on a, a Christian's perspective on what have you and compared to where I was at I battled it but I, I would always go to prayer and ask God, hey, look, if, if this is that whole old Hebrew light understanding, please remove it. Like, if there's still some scales on my eyes like that I can't see, please remove them. So that's that's the process that I had for about a year and a half, two years. And and listen, I could even tell you up until like this year, I, I, there were certain things that um, that I would come across and like, oh, man, that, that's that old way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And who knows how long that's going to continue. But I could at least say today that the uh like the court you know statements of faith of any true believer in, of christ you know i affirm um well let me ask you this it, what, it wasn't it wasn't easy right what, what would you point out as some core statements of faith that believers uh consistently hold to so you uh the uh the trinity Right, the understanding of the triune nature of God, um, tri unity, mm -hmm. uh, three who's and one what, uh, three persons, one God. Mm -hmm. So that was something that the organization that I was a part of, and, and Hebrew Israelism, the vast majority of them um, would hold as like heterodox. They would say that that is a false understanding, and how they come to that conclusion is different. Mm -hmm. We just we would outright deny it. Um, so I think that's one of them, uh, for sure. Um, hypostatic union, right? Uh, Christ being a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. Um, 
being saved by grace through faith and not of our own works. And uh, yeah, so the, the, these are the things that these are the things that I, I believe that um, that are foundational. You know, uh, all all those things that I mentioned, or the couple of things I mentioned, um, we I would I would have called those false. I would have said that that is a contrived Christian doctrine that was created to, to, to um, by the Roman Catholic Church to you know mislead people. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Those are definitely core truths right there, bro. Um, so what do you think changed as far as like your view um, of grace coming out of that? Like how have your view of grace changed? Because I'm sure it yeah. has to be way different um, than it was before. Oh, certainly. You know, um, grace as I knew it then was like a, it was a period where God gave you the opportunity to get yourself right if you weren't already right and how you became right was keeping the law statutes and commandments so one of the um examples we would always give when we were trying to street evangelize as, as uh you know members of the organization i was a part of we would always be like you know grace is like like how con edison gives gives you grace you know they give you a grace period to uh to pay the bill but that doesn't mean you don't have to pay the bill you know <laughs> so it was like a really crude way of explaining grace and, and and you know certain elements of that is true but that was all grace was grace wasn't the unmerited love or uh, unmerited yeah unmerited love of god you know that that we as um sinners don't deserve right like grace is what was performed on the cross of calvary by our lord and savior you know, um, having that the ability to have his sacrifice and his righteousness imputed onto us and our sin given to him. You know, that's that's grace because no nobody deserved that. Hmm. Um, you know, there's there's not one of us that can say our righteousness is anything but filthy rags. So, but you know, the Hebrew Israelite perspective in in um in the way that I understood grace was like, well, you know, it's just a time period that you have to perfect your practice of keeping the law, statutes and commandments, you know, which is a works-based uh, methodology that, that'll never have you get it right. You'll never get it right because the one who got it right died for, for, the, for you to be able to say that you got it right. And even then, you don't have it right. It's mm -hmm. his right that you have on you. Right. So it's, his, it's his righteousness that you have cloaked over you that makes you acceptable before God. So right. um, it's just it was just a very you know twisted way of understanding unmerited love of God in grace. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that, that, that's, that's how I perceived it. Right. And so now when you view grace that way... Um, the unmerited favor right or love of god because of what christ has done in the cross or on the cross um imputing his righteousness to us obviously your approach in view of jesus has to be a lot different also now so so how would you say your approach uh, and understanding of who jesus is how would it be different now um in comparison to before yeah so one of the things that you would hear uh, my organization and the Hebrew Israelites um, 
at large, I think you you, you can those that hold to like a um, a subordinate uh, a subordination a, a subordinationist perspective on Christ, like um, uh, pr- pretty much an Aryan perspective of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Like Jehovah's Witnesses on them, yeah. Right, like uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are lesser than God, Yahweh, right? Um, the Father, if you will. So you would always hear like people in the organization, I did it myself, we would refer to Christ as like our brother, right? Like how we viewed him was, yeah, he's Lord, but he's also our brother. And that is true because he came like us, you know, he was born not of a virgin. He was born just like you and me. Mm. And he went through everything we went through and he showed us that we can do it. Right. So it was all we 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 um, we denigrated Christ a whole lot to where it was like he was almost our peer, you know, on Earth. Even during that time, he was kind of like we could have considered him our peer where it was like, you know, that that perspective of Christ, I think only, and it's funny because you have a lot of like you mentioned Jehovah Witness, um, and a lot of these organizations that are so uh, heterodox, they all denigrate Christ to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them denigrate Christ, and and I think there's a lot of spiritual implications uh, with that. But one thing that I I view what one thing I know that's clear now. Mm-hmm is that when I would view Christ at that time, I didn't have the same reverence that I've learned to have now. So even though I was a a deacon and well-respected amongst uh, a bunch of people and, you know, was, was uh, known within that organization, Mm -hmm. I, I can't ever, I can't really truly say that I knew Christ and and believed in his atoning work Mm. you know right and i i can't view i can't view somebody that's my peer as my savior you know i don't think you can really do that yeah he he called his disciples his brothers but he did that with them and we are yeah we are we are his uh you know we're we're subordinate to him you can't forget that you know and i think that perspective that I had was like, you know, it didn't really give me the capacity to fully reverence him and worship him in the way that he needed to be worshiped. Because that was another thing. We would say that we can't worship Christ. Mm-hmm. We would be like worshiping Christ is, is pagan. Right. Worship you know? is reserved for God alone. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and when you read, you know, scriptures like Isaiah 43 and 10, where, where you know, he would not give his name to, to another and he is the only savior. You know, I'm paraphrasing that, uh, but that can only be true if Christ is is God, right? Mm-hmm. So we would, uh, yeah, and I mentioned that because we, these are scriptures that we would go to to say, well, look, you can't, you can't worship God, and He is our only Savior. You know, Christ is our Savior, but He really isn't our Savior. So it was just very convoluted in the way we would try to express it. But yeah, it, it's it's um, baseball fields away from. My understanding now of, of Christ being uh, the second person of, of the triune nature, triune nature of God, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a theological podcast, obviously, um, more so focused on the divinity of Christ and the Trinity. 
um i usually ask everyone i interview what's their favorite argument or or verse to go to to prove the divinity of christ or whatever um i guess from you it would probably be good to hear what was it that you that you came across in the scripture um or what argument did you hear that convinced you um of the divinity of christ and the trinity man so or one was, or uh, the other yeah sure so there was a couple right uh, one of my favorites is going to colossians 2 right um this is something that we would always struggle with um you know you'll hear different rebuttals from different you know different hebrews are like um you know, I, I really should read it in the um, in the KJV. I don't have the KJV right now, but you know, I, I'll, I'll read it for you. So Colossians two, and uh, I'll start at verse eight. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Hmm. And you have believed, uh, you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him and with him and with a circumcision not done with hands, but by putting off the body of flesh in circumcision of the Messiah. So th that was one of the scriptures that I would read from a hebrew perspective hebrew israelite perspective and not be able to really explain that you know those are one of the things where well, you got to go into the, the, the underlying text and see what that word says and then you know it gives you the biblical uh usage right so there's a couple of other words that would would be fitting for that and and you would just go to like the one that furthest away from distort, it. yeah right yeah, would yeah, run yeah. away from it the best mm -hmm. and um so that was that was one of those um another one was kind of how i went to isaiah 43. you know i'll read that again because i think that's a powerful one um isaiah 43 and 10. you are my witnesses this is the lord's declaration and my servant whom i have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that i am he no God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other Savior but me. Mm. Right? So, no other Savior. Yet. Our savior? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got how do you how do you reason this? How you reconcile that? So um That's not a so problem that's, that's Trinitarians what, have. Right. Reconciling that is not a problem Trinitarians have, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it becomes clear. Right. You know, when those scales are lifted, uh, a lot of scriptures that were just, you kind of had that cognitive dissonance, you know, when you read them and were just like, you really, you might have read it a hundred times, but you didn't store it because you didn't understand it. Um, but once you're blessed enough to, to have those scales removed, like I mentioned, you're able to see it with clarity. Word. That's dope, bro. Um, for the sake of time, what I want to do quick, I want to jump into a few questions that some listeners had, and then we'll come back, and I have one more main question for you. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I got a question from Anderson. Um, I'm going to try to read this how he wrote it. 
and hopefully you can understand what he's getting at. Um, I think you'll be able to. Um, but how do Hebrew Israelite apologists verify some of the historical material they use when they talk about the Israelites in different places in Africa when they speak of them as the real Israelites? So how do they justify it? Right. How do they justify these pieces of information? Mm -hmm. Well, a, a lot of, a, you know, this is based off of my experience and and seeing these uh, these PowerPoint presentations and and, and, the, and the videos that are put out and and, and their explanations of of uh, the authenticity of these sources is is exactly that. It's either the sources are inauthentic. Or they're just, you know, they, they kind of mutilate them, you know. And um, I don't think even your best Hebrew Israelite apologist has a uh, has great a great grasp of actual history. And um, you know, they have trouble when you test the uh, validity of these sources. And, and I think you can see that with a lot of people, a lot of Christian apologists that do, um, you know, good work in, de in debating these, uh, these individuals. Um, I'm not saying I've seen, I've heard every argument in the, in the whole world, but I think one of the arguments that puts a lot of this to rest is that, you know, the, the scriptures tell you that Israel would be scattered. So if you find records that show that, that, uh, Hey, look, this, you might've had this tribe here, or there was a, a, a Jewish remnant or a Jewish city here and there. Well, okay. First of all, is that, does that mean what you're saying it means? Like, does that mean, does that prove your interpretation of Deuteronomy 28? Or could that just mean that there was a settlement of Jews in this particular area that might that let's say at, at, at the most extreme, not saying I've heard this argument, that you can verify that these phenotypes and 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 uh, the anthropology is there to prove that they looked a certain type of way. Well, we know that through actual like genetic markers that the Limba tribe exists, right? Like there there are Israelite tribes that do have African genetic markers, right? Or, or, or are African, I should say, and, and do have Jewish genetic markers. So that's that's not really the argument. It's like trying to conflate that and say, well, this this proves everything else that I've been saying in regards to this that I have in this Hebrew Israelite smorgasbord. You know, it's like, no, let's be careful about this particular source of information first. Like let's ver let's let's be clear of who it is and how uh, reputable it is, and then let's just be unbiased about the research, you know. And then I think if the blinders are taken off and somebody is able to be genuine about what they're reading, nine times nine, nine times out of ten, it's not what they're trying to make it to be, you know. And like I said, I haven't heard any argument, but I've seen a lot of dismantling of arguments that look, I mean awesome on the onset until it gets questioned until you know cross-examination is is implemented and then you start to see it fall apart so you know i've i've heard dancers question i've i've seen different uh debates and arguments and uh for me it's i haven't seen anything substantial 
I haven't seen anything that uh, persuades me in any way. Because once you start getting down to the nitty gritty and start, for me, I think uh, DNA is a big thing, right? You'll have a lot of Israelites, Hebrew Israelites that discount or discredit uh, DNA. And then when they do uh, side with, uh, uh, um, you know, somebody that does a geneticist that might stand for, uh, it might seem like they're uh, validating their point. Now they believe in, in geneticists. Now they, they now they can use that science, you right. know. So it's like, just it, it's a broad question right. because there's a there's a plethora of of information and and um, different things out there. I think you got to take it case by case. Right. Like you, have, like you have some groups that groups that come at white people real crazy, but then they'll love to show you a video of a white person saying that black people are the true Jews. <laughs> so they'll take what they say then. Um, confirmation bias yeah, right heavy. another cu question from jonathan he says um how did you train other hebrew israelites to engage christians what were some of the main issues you focused on okay that's a great question and this particular organization i was a part of i know i've said that a whole lot but i, I don't i don't like referring to it as a church because you know it just doesn't sit right in my spirit mm -hmm. and that's and, not to disrespect yeah so you know. and so people know we're we're trying to stay away from the names on purpose um, because we don't want anyone to think that we're coming at them. Um, and this brother Andrew still has a lot of love for them. You know what I mean? And so we're just trying to share his testimony. And uh, so we can be thankful for what God is doing in his life. So um, right. just to kind of give you all some context to, to why we're not being direct as far as the names. Right. right. And uh, yeah, and I know I've, I've said organization about a million times. People are going to be on the, in the comment section like, why does he keep saying that? But uh, but brother, they know you, it's, you, it's of the one West variety. So right, right. I, I, maybe I'll start referring to them as them, and maybe. And, and the reason I'm being specific specific about the organization I come from is because I'm not trying to uh, say that all one Westerns believe how they believe, because they would outright kind of like disassociate themselves from this particular organization. Mm. So, um, so yeah. So how we would train people to to deal with Christians is we had a lot of. Christians, ex-Christians that came into our, you know, church, right? Ch church place, right? Um, and we would, we would have a lot of Christians and we would say, okay, well, after a while we got to the point where we, well, we got to make, we, we said, we got to make this environment more Christian-like because it'll be an easier transition for those, you know, disenfranchised Christians to, to kind of like, you know transition into our organization so we would always say well look a lot of christians are unlearned they don't really know how to defend the uh the trinity mm -hmm. they can't really defend you know the you know what how, if you were to ask a christian to articulate how it is that they're saved what makes you saved you know you, you'll hear some confusing answers and we, we spoke about some a really interesting uh apologetic tactic that you were trying to implement in your church which i thought was awesome mm -hmm. but um you know if you you ask certain questions right like in that flyer that you passed around a lot of the answers that you'll get back from from those basic questions that you, that you thought were basic will be a little you know kind of like perplexing. A little shaky That's yeah a little shaky so yeah so we would just target what we believe were weak areas in in like christian 
understanding and, and there were a lot you know we when we would do those street uh preaching events we would uh constantly confound christians um and just like and we became very tactful on certain verses that we would go to um but when we started to get our card pulled we understood how to kind of like reverse uno you know what i mean like <laughs> we'd be able to like like get out of that real quick like you you so know that draw four hit him with four yeah. other verses that don't got nothing to do with the topic <laughs> but what about christmas no, four, four you know verses. what i mean but what about <laughs> yeah exactly you know there's a, a couple of tactics that have been like coined like strong and wrong just talk over people we really didn't do that as much we were like very uh, more of like the pleasant more moderate. interaction yeah more moderate um so yeah so that's how we would do we would just try to like pick pinpoint what we fought what we felt were weak arguments that christians had and we put up a fight and 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 we, we tried to jump around scripture and precept what we call the precept you know verse precept. to verse mm -hmm. you know um and we would just try to do the precept dance on people sometimes you know we wouldn't call it that then but that's how i, I kind of explain it, it now is we, yeah we would go from verse to verse and, and try to throw you off and and then sprinkle some type of truth in there that that will kind of get get your guards down and then hit you hit you with the rhetoric so mm -hmm. got gotcha. you know, depended cool and so mark he asks um why is the 1611 king james translation so important oh that's a good question so what we would say is that it most closely related to the interlinear that was used to translate it right like, so we would say like the 1611 is the most authentic word for word translation that you could come across. Right. But the main reason, two of the main reasons we would, we would uh, go with the 1611 and really we weren't going with the 1611. We were going with like the 1898, I think it's a Blainley or, or Blainley edition, Blaney? which was like Blaney's. Yes. I think that was the one that, so you would, you would have like, Hebrew Israelites in that organization, I'd be like, yeah, I only rock with the 1611. It's like, bro, you, you don't have the 1611 because you wouldn't be able to read it. It's in that, <laughs> it's in that middle English, mm. right? Um, that, you know, where the U's would look like V's and, and you know, the I, the J's were I's, so you wouldn't be able to really mm -hmm. understand it. But anyway, I have a Geneva a Bible right here, the 1599. And man, I thought it would be dope to have one until I started reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a headache. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, but yeah, so they would use that as an excuse uh, to, to say that, you know, it was the most uh, inspired. But another reason would be that like the 1611 in particular, it had the Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. And the Apocrypha was a book, um, for those who are familiar, familiar with it, it's, um, it's uh, 14 books that are reserved like uh they're, they're, they're put essentially they're put in a category where they are not considered historically speaking divinely inspired they're good to read right from like the the old christian perspective and you know the the translator's perspective and many of them felt this way from the research i've done that they were just uh not pseudepigrapher yeah they, you, you would be able to call them um, se uh, second second class mm -hmm. to the 66 books that were canon. They weren't inspired, um, but they were profitable for understanding right, to, just, to an extent. To, to an extent, exactly. And uh, 
that book is used uh i mean extensively within like the hebrew israelite community you you will find that the vast majority of one westerners hold to it and uh use it as um, a divinely inspired book um all 14 of them are divinely inspired and my organization was no different they use that so the 1611 included that so it was uh held in high regard because of that as well um and you know for people that want to do research on the apocrypha just a little side note i would recommend bruce metzger's uh book on the apocrypha it goes through the whole history of uh, each book breaks down uh how the uh translators viewed it and how it was viewed even by like second temple uh jews you know so i would do research on that um on that book and and um and just if you just other books in in general that'll give you history on it um to get uh a different perspective on it mm-hmm. so um so yeah so that was that was one of the the, the uh, reasons and um i would say another one was that they felt that they believe that king james is a <laughs> was a black man yeah yeah you know so um i think all that together just makes for a good argument from their perspective as to why you should trust the King James and um, not any other modern translation. Cause they have a low view on modern translations, you know, even though the amount of Greek manuscripts that we have access to now compared to what the translators of the King original King James had to uh, had to work with is like, you can't even compare them, mm. you know, thousands. We have thousands, I think over 30, uh, over, close to 4,000 translations. Uh, manuscripts. Yeah, we got over we 6, have 000. access to. Yeah, over, over six thousand. Over six thousand okay. in the original language, and uh, it's twenty something thousand altogether with the other languages that it was copied into over the years. And, so, and I think yeah. the King James had maybe under ten. They didn't. I'm not mistaken. They didn't have much. Is is yeah. Let's just say they didn't have much. Um, right. Something that's interesting is that the apocrypha was elevated to the level of scripture by the Catholic Church. Um, at I want to say it was the Council of Trent. Um, I can't. I don't know for sure off the top of my head, but that's something that you guys could look up. Um, but it was the Catholic Church that elevated that to the to the level of Scripture. And it's interesting that Hebrews relates hold to it that way, at least a good bit of them, when uh, they use many arguments against Christians as being of Catholic origin um, or Roman right. Catholic origin, um, because Catholic just means the universal body of Christ, right? And so. <laughs> they kind of stole right. that word and stained it some um you see if i could say something real quick yeah. um i have a note here um and people could uh, obviously fact check anything we're saying mm-hmm. um the 1611 has six greek manuscripts wow. right and the the earliest manuscript was the 10th century was from the 10th century right and the latest was the 13th century and Today's manuscripts, uh, like you mentioned, I have 5,800, but you said over 6,000. So within that within that uh, range of Greek manuscripts and the earliest is the late first century or early second century. So Mm -hmm. like you said, we have a whole lot more to work for and then uh, work with. And then we have earlier sources. But, you know, what's so dope, though, Um, and I talk to people about this at work. Like, I can't trust the Bible. How can we trust it? The point that you just made, having manuscripts from the 10th through 13th century, only six of them, right, potentially, 
And you compare that King James to a, a translation that was able to consider what we have in its entirety and you put them side by side, the message is the same. Amen. The same message preserved throughout history. You can't come that that's it's second to none, right? Like you, you can't put any other piece of literature in antiquity next to scripture and have something that's as trustworthy or as close to the original as what we have in the, in the, in the scriptures. Um, there's, there's nothing like it. Um, let me just jump to this last question. Um, so this is an important qu question, ex especially in, uh, in CHH right now. Um, it's something that's kind of unfolding more and more as far as this identity as a Hebrew Israelite. Um, so let me ask you this. E even though you no longer follow the belief system, right? Would you still consider yourself a Hebrew Israelite? Um, being that many would say that it's not a religion. It's it's just an ethnic identity. Yeah, I would not. No, I would have to say no on that. Um, because I have no way of substantiating that belief you know i don't i don't you know my ancestry doesn't go back to the levant region you know from what i can gather you know and and look i'm not saying that uh dna testing um is a perfect science but you know i think that we should respect those that are professionals in certain fields right just like we would you know like your doctor you, you know you you would go to a, if you broke your your leg you would go to a doctor that's registered and, and has his his uh, license and probably someone that has been practicing for many years because you trust the experience that he has so um i think it's the same thing with other sciences you know we have to uh, uh be able to prove all things to the best of our ability like it says in first uh, thessalonians 5 so i can't prove that hmm. i just can't prove it in any way shape or form and um that's not even going into like the uh like the biblical defenses that people try to make right. to prove you know that they're israelites i don't i don't hold to any of that and because uh it, it's it's not sound you know i agree i'm happy you answered that way <laughs> um you, you thought i was gonna say what tribe i thought i was from <laughs> no i just it was just up in the air for me because um I didn't want to ask you beforehand. I wanted to kind of get your reaction to it, like in real, real time, real time. organic, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's a problem because people think they can somehow remove the claim from a theological statement, right? Like I'm making an ethnic claim, not a theological claim, but you are. And and this is this is why it's a theological claim, and this is why it's antithetical to the gospel. Because first of all, it's theological because you derive that view from scripture, right? You're going to Deuteronomy 28, and you're exegeting it the best you can, right? And you're coming to this conclusion that you are these people that's spoken of in the text. But then how do you connect it to black people today? Well, you look mm -hmm. at the black experience in America. And you say, look what we've been through. We've been 400 years of slavery. Right. You say all these different things that are the product of 
the failure of Israel to adhere to the law, statutes, and commandments of God. And these are the curses that were pronounced on God's people. And so this is why this is our plight. This is the reason why our experience is what it is in America. Right. And so you tie the black experience to the curses that are pronounced. And the problem is in Christ, we're free from the curse of the law. <laughs> Amen. Right. And so you minimize Christ. Um, and you make his blood to no effect because it never pulled away the, the curse of the law. Right. right. You're, you're still bound by it. His righteousness was never imputed to you because if it was, you would not be under the curse of the law. <laughs> mm. um, you, you feel me? And that's another that's a, that's another way to, you know, not directly, but indirectly denigrate Christ. Oh, ex as exactly. A, as a Hebrew Israelite. Right. You know. And I, let me just read a few, few few scriptures real quick. Galatians 3.13. Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law <laughs> by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Um, John 8.31-36. It says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from mm. what? Right. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, which is a crazy statement. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed <laughs> from the slavery of sin and from the curse of sin, which is death ultimately. Right. Um, second corinthians 317 now the spirit now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom um and i'll give you one last one galatians 5 1 for freedom christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery and that's what we're being called to <laughs> when someone is trying to expose this idea to us that we are the true jews um, and this is why we are the true Jews. That's the problem. They point to our plight as the reason why. Um, and the way back is by putting this yoke of slavery back on, like putting the shackles back on your feet, <laughs> the chains that Christ has broken um, through his blood on the cross. And so it's very problematic to identify as a Hebrew Israelite by connecting the dots from Deuteronomy 28 to the transatlantic slave trade. I right. have no problem with someone identifying that way by somehow tracing it through DNA. Right? If that's your eth ethnic lineage, that's your ethnic lineage. Um, but it's because of DNA, not because right. of the black experience <laughs> right. that is disconnected from any truth. Um, any truth derived from the gospel because the gospel frees us from that right and so yeah one, one last thing um i have a friend who's a uh who has a father who's a hebrew israelite um he often has conversations with him um sometimes they're productive most times you know how it can be um not too fruitful at all um you mind just giving him a word of encouragement and maybe uh giving him some 
advice as to maybe how to approach him? Sure. I would say to, no, I think that anybody that is ministering um, or, you know, trying to understand, let's just say, try to understand somebody coming from a Hebrew Israelite perspective, just know that th there is um, there has been a lot of framework that the enemy has built up before they accepted that understanding, right? I, I don't think that uh, anybody that has a clear view, uh, sound um, understanding of, uh, you know, the scriptures and, and, you know, their hermeneutics is on point. They, they understand Christ's purpose. I, I don't really see people like that. I haven't heard many stories of people like that falling into um, this type of, of pernicious stumbling block, right? But just understand that, you know, there's a lot more to it. Um, and it's it's uh, not only a theological understanding, but like you you mentioned, brother E, it is a worldview. It is um, it is so, it, there are lenses that uh, people put on that are not only theological, but it is um, it is how they view and interpret everyday plight, everyday you know struggle is uh, constant uh, reaffirmation. Or affirmation, a reinforcement of the position that these so-called uh, Edomites or the ruling class, or however th this you know whoever um, they're subscribed to, as far as their, their their understanding of Hebrewism, there's somebody above them that is causing this plight, right? Ultimately, the devil, but um, but there's somebody over them, right? I think constantly being ready to defend the remedy for those feelings, right? Of constantly being downtrodden, constantly being oppressed, feeling like somebody's above you, constantly showing the remedy to be freedom in Christ, freedom in the free woman, right? Because with, with being a Hebrew Israelite comes the laws. That's you know, so you have that oppressive worldview, and then you have these laws, statutes, and commandments that you feel you have to, you have to achieve in order to be seen in good graces by God. So it's a very oppressive mm -hmm. ideology to be under. So constantly sh demonstrating in conversation how Christ is the cure for the current. Uh, situation at the end because once you accept in my opinion you accept that uh, ideology for the vast majority of people it's like um you just you just you just become like slightly uh, it's, it's hard to explain but you become like Hebrew Israelites would describe it as like a wise man uh, uh, a wise man is oppressed or, or, or they'll, they'll use that scripture in Ecclesiastes where they're pretty pretty much justifying why it is that they're they're angry or why it is that they're they feel low, you know, and it's because of our current uh, situation as Hebrew Israelites. The remedy is Christ. Bring that forth in conversation, but I would say make it less about a a debate, um, and uh, more about uh, especially a situation where it's father and son. 
I would I would do less of the debating and more of just casual conversation, calm conversation, and constantly demonstrating Christ's uh, answer to their uh, circumstance. Dope. And because we don't have enough uh, time left, um, before we get out of here, um, why don't you let us know what you have going on, um, what you have planned for the future, and uh, how we can also be in prayer for you, bro. Yeah, so... You can, um, first, I'll give out my information where people can reach me. Um, I'm on uh, Instagram at, at Drew, D-R-E-W, Reborn, R-E-B-O-R-N. And you can also reach out to me uh, via email at uh, RebornVision at gmail.com. And Vision is spelled V-I-Z-I-O-N. And right now, you know, personally, I have... A couple of brothers that I'm working with and we're organizing, uh, in the process of organizing um, a kind of like a uh, big brother uh, organization where we're just, from a Christian perspective, reaching out to the youth in our area and um, just trying to mentor from a, a Christ-like perspective, right? So how that, however that looks, it's a little different with COVID, especially with the um the restrictions we have in New York City, so it's a little difficult mm-hmm. to do it. But we're just laying out the the framework, and, and we pretty much been doing that for for a couple months now, and uh, trying to implement that as soon as it's feasible, and uh, slowly but surely get that rolling, and um, essentially just uh, discipling in in, in, a, in a small way, um, and and sometimes that's as simple as just being able to be a uh, ear for somebody. Uh, that, that doesn't have a role model or a, a father figure or somebody to look up to that be able to, you know, to hear them out. And I think that there's no better person um, to do that than somebody who's submitted to the will of God. Mm-hmm. Um, not because we're anything, but because we're in touch with him who is everything. Right. So being able to do that is um, something that um, is, is a blessing. So we're, we're doing that. And then I, I got a YouTube channel. Uh, uh, so you can find it at YouTube slash youtube.com slash reborn vision and uh god willing within the next couple of weeks we'll have uh the first video uh put out there and um yeah so if you could subscribe to that follow me for for updates and um i appreciate it bro i really do appreciate the opportunity man yeah man we'll definitely be praying about that we'll be praying for you also you know what i mean as you continue to grow like we all are um, I'm sure, like you said, you're going to continue to encounter uh, things that you got to continue to tear down, you know what I mean, and right. and, and pull away from. And uh, so I just pray that you stay encouraged through that and, and see that as God's grace uh, for you, that he's continuing to open your eyes, like I said, like he's doing for all of us. Um, but, yeah, man, I really appreciate you taking out the time man, and, and sitting down um, on this podcast and to kind of encourage everyone else. Um, to let them know that no one is too far um, from God's reach. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one is too far gone. Um, no matter how deep someone is into something, um, God's arm is is longer. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And so thanks again, bro, for coming on. I'm looking forward to building with you, bro. Absolutely. Praise God. Thank you, bro. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you're encouraged as an ambassador of Christ um, to, to reach back into the world where you've been pulled out of, um, back into darkness, shining the light of Christ as an ambassador 
um, reconciling man to God. And I hope by this testimony from Andrew today um, that you are encouraged and you realize that nobody is too far from God's reach, um, that you should never stop praying for for people. Um, you should never forget how far you you've come. Right. You should never forget how far from God you were at a time. And so, like I said, I hope this episode encouraged you. Um, thank you for listening to that deity, though. Wisdom and knowledge revealed.